two exits in the room. So I've covered all my bases there. <laughs> all right. Uh, before we um, read about how to be weak and foolish in the name of Jesus, <laughs> weak and foolish, crucified messengers, uh, let's pray. Father, we bow before you and acknowledge with tremendous exhilaration that you are holy. No words could we say, no deeds could we do that would add even a half of ounce to that, to your holiness. And so this morning we sit in awe. That's our job right now. We sit with our minds and our deeds forgotten and we just watch your holiness. We cannot tell you how great you are. Because the moment that we do, our words fall short. Your greatness is infinite, which is why we leave the song in a question. How great thou art. You are not weak. You are not foolish. But you appear that way. As we look at the cross. Would you come this morning and minister to your people as we take on the cross and its shame, its lack of reputation, its poverty, its willingness to suffer and die. May we have the words of Paul when he said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Father, no one here wants to pray that, but I pray you would help us. Meet us at the point of our need, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, uh, you'll have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 1-5. through 5. We're going to look at that and a couple of other um, passages as well as we investigate what, what's going on here. Uh, there's three things we're going to consider. What does it mean to be a crucified messenger? First, what does it mean? Second, what happens... When you are a crucified messenger, what happens? And thirdly, where does it happen? Where does it happen? Okay, where? Lo the location of this is very important because it will help us understand its purpose. The crucified messenger. Well, here in, in 2 Corinthians, we realize that Paul is describing himself as weak and foolish. And uh, since it's, it's spring break, many of our college friends, college-age friends, are away at home and visiting friends and family. And so I thought it would be a good Sunday to pick on them uh, since they're not here to defend themselves. Have you ever wondered what the Holy Scriptures... A friend of mine sent this to me, by the way. Uh, what the Holy Scriptures would have been different, how, how they would have been different if college students or to have written it for one thing the last supper would have been eaten the next morning cold with stale coke the ten commandments would actually be only five double spaced with wide margins and written in a large font uh, a new edition would be published every two years in order to limit reselling of course <laughs> the reason Cain killed Abel they were roommates the reason why Moses and followers of him walked in the desert for 40 years, they didn't want to ask for direction, directions and look like freshmen. <laughs> and last but not least, instead of God creating the world in six days and resting on the seventh, he would have put it off until the night before it was due and then pulled an all-nighter. <laughs> 
Well, I remember being that age. I remember being in college when life was open and I didn't know what my career would be and I didn't know who my spouse would be and I didn't know what lifestyle I would have. It was a great time of excitement. But as I look at myself now and I compare the difference, I realize that I've, I've come a long way. And my parents are very, very proud of me in the length of distance I've measured, you know, from when I was in college until now. I'm sure they are. You can ask them uh, after the service and they will answer. Yes, we are very proud of David and his brother Rick. They, they've come a long way. Uh, but if, if I hadn't come a long way. If, if I hadn't grown in maturity, my parents would be embarrassed for sure. And perhaps at some point they would ask themselves the question, what did we do wrong as parents? That's our greatest fear. One of our greatest fears, our kids would grow up to be weak and foolish. And, and, and so nobody here is going to train their children to be weak and foolish. And yet in 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, we read Paul, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I'm weak. I'm foolish. I wonder what his parents thought when they had a chance to read this passage or hear him preach about this. Were they embarrassed? Did they feel like we failed as parents? Not exactly. Here's why. Look at verse 2. Paul utters the words, for I decided. Look at verse 5. So that your faith. I'm going to stop there. Just those words tell us Paul is weak and foolish on purpose. He has an intention here. He didn't just not grow up or didn't just remain in adolescence or immaturity. He grew up. Yeah, he sure did. But you know what? He went back. He's intentionally being weak and foolish. There's a strategy here. I decided so that implies that Paul has a, a strategy with being weak and foolish. And so now his parents read it and say, that's on you, Paul. That is your fault. You're the one who put that on, not us. But what does that mean? What are we really reading here when we read that Paul is weak and foolish, not wise? What are we actually reading here? Here's a bumper sticker idea I had. Dumb for Christ. I just put that right on the back of my car. I'm dumb for Christ, right? How well would that go, do you think? Does that mean we're supposed to elect men who will be elders who are both weak and foolish? Are you to hire a youth pastor who's, well, no, never mind about that. But would you want people serving in the church who are weak and foolish? Is that, is that what we want? We want to aspire to that? Of course not. So what is really going on here? The answer is back in 1 Corinthians 1, and you'll turn the page, if you would, just a couple of pages back, and the rest of us with electronic Bibles will wait for you as you turn your pages back. So <laughs> I hear pages rustling. All right, 1 Corinthians 1. Let's start at verse 21, and hear a clue. So what's going on in 2 Corinthians 1? Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, sorry, (laughs) chapter 2. I'm getting all mixed up. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews. That means weak and foolishness to the Gentiles. Do you see that? Paul, this is very important. Paul is calling himself weak and foolish. 
because he's married himself to something that's weak and foolish. It's the cross. It's Christ crucified. That is what weak and foolishness is. That's what is so weak and foolish. The Jews, the Greeks, the Greeks come to Paul and and right before Paul went to Corinth, he was in Athens. And when he went to Athens, he reasoned with the Athenians in their wisdom and he, he almost had them. You remember the passage in Acts where it describes Paul's words and what he said. And he's trying to reason with them. And they said, come back, because what what we hear you say is so interesting. And we think your brain is superior to ours. We think you're a pretty smart guy. So come back tomorrow and we'll listen. Listen and discover what wisdom you might have. And when Paul got to the cross of, of Christ, many in Athens rejected that and said, that's ridiculous. That's, that's folly. It's not wisdom. Well, the Jews approach this gospel differently. When Paul would go to the Jews, they would say, no, we've got all of the wisdom we need. God gave us a king in Solomon, made him the wisest man, and he wrote lots of books and Proverbs. And we have them, and anytime we want, we can go read and get our wisdom from, from these books that Solomon wrote. We don't need wisdom. What we need is power. You see, our temple's been sacked. Our city has been taken over by the Persians and the Babylonians and the Romans and everyone else is sort of just coming in and taking everything. They've dispersed us, and now we're just trickling back in weakness. What we need is power. And when Paul preached, the Messiah, the one of God, is on the cross dying intentionally. See, that, that wasn't so much foolish as it was a stumbling block. We had just stood up, said the Israelite nation. And the cross is there, and we stumble over it, and we're now falling back. Now, we don't want to stumble anymore. We want to be powerful. So Paul marries himself to something that is weak and foolish. In essence, Christ crucified and Paul was crucified. Well, not on a cross, not physically. But remember what he said in Galatians 3? I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul said in other places, he's being poured out as a drink offering of sacrifice in Philippians the verse I prayed it was Paul saying I want to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death Paul isn't just talking about the crucified cross he's doing something more than that he's identifying it as a way of life for him you know what we do we put the cross of Christ and we leave it in the past let me re read you um, a statement and you decide for yourself if you agree with this the crucifixion of christ was a once for all substitution of the son of god in my place once for all substitution of the son of god in my place so that i would not have to suffer the consequences of my own sin but could enjoy the abundant life that he purchased for me you hear scriptures Right when I read that, the abundant life, I came to give you life and life abundantly. John 1.10, that I would not have to suffer. You hear revelation, no more tears. The fullness of Christ giving me joy. So I would agree with that. 
But if we let that belief put the cross of Christ in the past and, and, and it stays in the past, then we forget what Jesus said when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Do you see that? It's a past event that benefits me in the present. True. But it's a past event that we, we put on like a jacket and wear. And sometimes it means physical death, but other times it means other things than physical death. The cross is not a mere event in history. It's a way of life. Now, I will say this in, in just a, a side note. Uh, many religions, Buddhism is one of them, doesn't have a history that's important, it, that, that defines them. They're not a historic faith. It, is, it doesn't really matter when specifically the Buddha was born or died, you know, or, or exactly when he said this or that or what he actually did. It, it, it doesn't matter. The beliefs are kind of above and beyond history, right? But in the historic Christian faith, ours is a faith of history. We do care when things were said and when people were born and when they died. But that's not to say that the cross of Christ is relegated to the past and it's going to stay there in a box. It is not merely an event in history. The cross is a way of life. Jesus says to take up your cross daily. But the Corinthians and many of us, we don't take up our cross daily. We are taking up our scepter daily. We are sitting on our throne daily. We are leaving in the past what belongs in the present, namely the cross. And we are trying to bring into the present what belongs in the future, namely the power and dignity of glorified saints. And the result is the cross is emptied of its power. If you talk about the cross as merely a past event, it loses its power, which is why Jesus wants us to display the crucifixion. When, when we take communion next week, one of the things we do is we remember the crucifixion, right? The body of Christ is the bread and it's broken. The wine or the grape juice in this case is the blood of Christ and it's spilled for the remission of sins. And Jesus says, remember that, remember and, and, and what, what we could be thinking of is we're just remembering something in the past. But remember, Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians, he says the word, and this is an interesting word to describe communion, participate. When you drink the, the cup, the blood of Jesus goes into your veins and you're participating in Jesus's blood shed for the remission of sins. Now, you're not dying for people like Christ did, but, but you're taking the blood in so that it would be shed. The body of Christ, we ingest, make it our own body so that our bodies are broken like Christ's. Do you see that? We're participating in the gospel. We're not just benefited by the gospel. We're sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, if I ask the question, that's really hard, by the way. It's, it's a, a lot to take in, and it's really hard. Uh, what is a demonstration of what this might look like? And sometimes we draw a blank. You know, a lot of us would think Lent. We're in the season of Lent, right? That's what we're doing before Easter. 
We give up coffee. We give up soda. We give up TV shows. Sometimes we give up our pillow. That was a creative uh, item to give up. Think about it. And that's great. Think about it. Give up your pillow for Lent. It will teach you every night you go to bed. You'll, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to give up. But there's lots of things we give up. But that's, is that what deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Christ means? I think we make the mistake that we say, yes, that's what, that's what that means. Now, Lent is important. We should do it. Everybody knows that. Right? Lent is important. We should do it. it. Fasting is important. Giving up stuff for the sake of learning about God and growing in your faith and developing discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. And it's very important. Right? It's also very important to read the Bible. It's also very important to pray. It's also very important to sing in community songs we just sang and to confess together your sins and to be in a, a community of believers where there's accountability. All of those things are important, but all of those things are spiritual discipline exercises, exercises, training you and me to do the business of a Christian. And that is denying ourselves and taking up our cross and, and following Jesus. That is being like him in his death. So those things are training you to do the real business of the Christian. And so don't, don't mix that up. So when I, when, I, when I ask the question, what does it look like for you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ? To become weak and foolish for the sake of Christ. What does that, what does that look like? Giving money. Uh, it, it's kind of foggy a little bit. It's a little bit foggy. Well, let's go on to the next point, and that is what happens. Let's say we do. Let's say we follow Christ this way. We become weak and foolish. What happens? You'll notice in verse 4, there is a demonstration of two things. The spirit and power. The spirit and power. And it's here that we need to pause and see things for how they really are. And I hope God gives all of us eyes to see. Remember the day when you saw the cross for the first time for what it really was? It's probably a glorious day in your life. It is for me. For many years, I looked at the cross as something that was weak and foolish. But it's not really. It's not really weak and foolish. It's just our perception. And you walk away shaking your eyes. Why would anybody do that? Why? It's just perception. You remember the story Jimmy Kaiser reminded of uh, this at the leadership banquet. And I started to think about it. The story where the paraplegic was lowered through the, the roof to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus looks down at this man who could not walk. And he said, your sins are forgiven. And those around him said two things. Foolish. Weak. Jesus is foolish and Jesus is weak. Why is he foolish? Jesus, obviously this man needs to walk. He can't walk. He's on a mat for a reason. He's not taking a nap, right? He's been lowered down before you for one reason, so he can walk. That's his real need. And what do you say? Your sins are forgiven. You've missed the mark. You're a fool. And Jesus' response would say, well, I understand how you could see that. But the truth is, this man's greatest need is not his legs. This man's greatest need is the sin in his heart. Right? What, what would you rather have this man suffer? A lifetime of not walking or eternal death? Who's the fool? Who's the fool to think that walking is somehow more important than being saved from eternal death? 
So Jesus is not really the fool. It's just perception. And they also cry, weak. Jesus is weak. I can just see that. The man is lowered down and Jesus panics. Uh, I'm just a man. I can't really heal this guy. And everyone's looking at me. Your sins are forgiven, my son. Let's eat. And he, you know, like, just, he's kind of distracting the crowd a little bit. And they're saying, weakling, yeah, you couldn't do the powerful thing. And so you chose a way to kind of masquerade as a powerful guy, but you're not really powerful. And Jesus says, quite literally, you don't think I have the power to forgive his sins? Which, by the way, is a lot more, is a lot more power needed to forgive someone of their sins. You don't think I can beat death? That I can be victorious for eternal death, not just for him, but for everyone who believes. Do I have that power? Well, I'll show you my power by showing you the small power of healing this man's legs. And he does it instantly. He's showing us things. This is what Jesus' message is. You think the cross of Christ is weak and powerless. It's not. Like Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the cross. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. And it's the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1, he says that very thing. But to those, this is chapter 1, verse 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ crucified the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's all about perception. Cross of Christ meets us at the point of our need, even if we don't know it. So that's what it means to be weak and foolish. And, and that's what happens when we're weak and foolish. But now the application of the sermon. And I sat back and I thought, okay, application time. Give money, go to Haiti, give up coffee. I don't know. What does it mean to be weak and foolish in the presence of those who think the cross is weak and foolish? Well, I think the answer to that is, one of the answers to that is the location of where this happens. Think about this. Let's say you go to Papua New Guinea and you meet the people that live there. And maybe they've never seen a Westerner before. And so you go and you make friends with them and you learn their language and you are able to communicate with them. And uh, about three or four years later, they, one of your friends walks in and says, what's that orange thing? And you look over and it's a basketball. And so you pick it up and you say, this is a basketball. Well, what do you do with it? Uh, you, you shoot. You shoot baskets. Well, how? How do you do it? Well, come on, I'll show you. So you take them out to this open grass field, you know, because that's you don't want to do it in the jungle. So you just take them out to an open grass field and you, you take the ball in your hand and you plant your feet and he's watching you and you say, okay, put your feet about shoulder length apart. You bend your legs like this. You hold the ball like this and you put your hand on top like this. Got it. Then you put the ball above your head and you kind of, you know, maneuver your arms in such a way to kind of give yourself some room. And then what you do is you kind of bend your back over and you go up like this and you go, woo, and you throw it far, but not too far, but also not right in front of you. So kind of in the middle, woo plop and it lands on the grass field and he's looking at you saying oh shoot the basket okay great you take the basketball you give it to him and you say you try here mimic me copy what i do he does out of respect for you right open mind okay let's do this he's he's watching you and he's doing this and he's doing this and let's say he does it effortlessly perfectly well perfectly He, he does a good job you clap and applaud everything's great he goes home now his conversation with his wife What'd you do today? 
Well, I shot a basketball. What? Yeah, it didn't make sense to me either. This guy has no idea what you just did. It doesn't make sense. That action does not make sense except one location, one place. Does that action make sense? On the court. If you were to somehow create a court or bring them to a court where there's lines, there's a wood floor, there's a basket, and you were to sort of fill in the blanks. This is a basketball court, and you've got all these other players looking at you. And you're, you're shooting a free throw, a specific shot, not a layup, not a pass. You're, you're free throw. And everyone's lined up, and you take your time, and then you shoot the ball, and it goes in. That's two points. Lights would begin to go off in his head. I get it. I understand. You and I are Christians. And when we hear deny yourself, take up your cross and follow you, a lot of us think, okay, I'm going to do that. And you do it. You mimic Jesus in giving up things. But you do it in a grass field. Jesus is saying, do it on the court where it makes sense. Where is the location where we are to deny ourselves? And all of a sudden, if you pick a location, it makes a lot more sense. For example, let's plant a church in Haiti. The location is Haiti. The task, plant a church. Hundreds of things come to your mind as to what it means to give up for yourself. Language, culture, air conditioning, good food, Water that doesn't make you sick, right? Friends, family, every, everything you can think of and a hundred other things. All of a sudden, just when I say the location of something and the task to do, all of these examples come. That's the problem of the monastic movement. Now, I'm not saying that's every monastic, every monastery, but if the monastic movement kind of had this idea that Christians ought to deny themselves, they ought to, to take up their cross and follow Christ, but they did it in a monastery, they did it in a closet. And we tend to do that too. We tend to build a bubble in which we die for no reason. It only makes sense if you die on display in the world. Put yourself on display in the world. They will call you weak. They will call you foolish, but not everyone. God In 1 Corinthians 1, he says he was pleased through the preaching of the foolishness of the cross. To save some who believed. They will change their minds. That's the life of a Christian. So the application for you is to find yourself in the world. And then just find a purpose. Find a purpose for what you're doing. If you are in a business, you can look at the business friends that you have and say, I want to establish a investigative Bible study for non-Christians as we go through the book of John with eight of them. And in six months time, I want them all to become Christians and I want them all to be members of my church. Now that's specific. And I know we're not supposed to have very specific plans. We're supposed to leave it open to God, but just make a specific plan in your head. And all of a sudden, all of the things that'll cost you will become clear to you. It will be very clear what God is asking you to give up. Just go into the world, make a plan, say, I want to reach these people in six months time and reach them means they'll become Christians and they'll be members of our church. We have an inquirers class coming up in April. Let's see the inquirers class with 50 people.
people who were not Christians before. They weren't Christians before, and now they are. That's our goal. And as soon as you start thinking in those terms, I think a lot of this makes sense. Let me read the passage again and and think about yourself or, or think about this question. Think about where is Paul and what is his goal? First Corinthians two. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message, this is conveying to them the gospel. were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. You see where he is? He's in the world. He's surrounded by non-believers. Do you see what he's doing? He's demonstrating the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we discover this passage, as we look into it, Father, we...